As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Sportsman Drag Racing, and Kevin Brannon winning the freaking spring, fr- spring Fling Million. What do you say, Big Jet? <laughs> What's up, Bogak? Yes, uh, we sometimes discuss all of that, and um, tonight we're going to discuss a lot of one of those topics, and that's Kevin Brannon. Um, pretty cool show we got here for uh, a preview of the Spring Fling Million coming up in Vegas this week, but more so a recap of last year's Spring Fling Million, kind of round by round and some insight to what was happening from Peter Biondo because uh, he was obviously all in the middle of it. So really cool. This was a, a fun episode to record going back and getting to see the numbers and watch things play out and discuss what we think some strategy might've been. So really cool. This is going to be a fun show. Yeah. Seeing as we've already recorded the the meat of this week's show, I can divulge there is no discussion of U.S. Olympic athletes or adult film stars. There is a <laughs> lot of talk about Kevin Brannon and obviously last year's Spring Fling Million. We did this, as Jed mentioned, we brought Peter Biondo in. Uh, it was kind of a, a three-man team up. A look back at last year's Spring Fling Million, obviously on the eve now of the 2023 Spring Fling Million. So we picked the action up with, uh, what was it, 14 cars remaining, the round of the split, get things going from there, walk through it round by round, matchup by matchup, and give a little bit of insight, commentary, everything else as we went along. So hope you enjoy the show. This will be the only podcast that will drop this week. Uh, I'm in Vegas as you listen to this for the Spring Fling Millions. So be sure to watch along on the live feed. We will catch back up with you again next week. Um, 
And one other thing of note before we get into the, the body of this is that uh, if you would prefer to watch this over listening to it, we've actually got a full production video, including um, the round by round live feed with our voices over it, basically. Uh, if you would rather watch the video than take in the audio, you can find that at thisisbracketracing.com slash recap. Jed, I think that's it. Without further ado, we'll bring in Pete and get this show on the road. Let's roll. Good evening, everyone. I am Big Jed, Jared Pennington. And on the eve of the 2023 Spring Fling Million, we thought it'd be really cool to take a look back at the 2022 Spring Fling Million and Kevin Brennan's epic win. Now, we'll pick up the action coming in around six. There'll be 13 cars remaining in the big show, and we'll kind of break down run by run exactly what happened and give you a little color commentary. I'm joined tonight by my co-host on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, Luke Bogacki, along with the Spring Fling Million promoter and owner, Peter Biondo. Guys, welcome in tonight. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. What's up, Big Jed? Pete, welcome. Yeah, going to have a good time, guys. Uh, obviously, Pete, you lived this thing live, and uh, we watched it. Uh, Luke, you you were there. You you know what was, I mean, how this thing was playing out round by round. So really going to be a, a cool look back at 2022 and a very popular win for Kevin Brannon. So why don't we get into round number six and start it with 13 cars remaining? Sounds good. So coming into round six, we had 13 total cars remaining. The uh, the the pro class, the bottom bowl class, had been culminated the round prior. Andy Schmall getting the win over Nick Hastings. So Andy was the lone pro car coming into round six, Big Jed. We had three door cars, and we had, what would that be, nine dragsters. Coming into round six, the round of 13 cars total. Yeah, the odds were stacked against the door cars for sure, and certainly the the bottom bulb car remaining, which was Andy Small. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think people really remember these door cars, uh, giving them all they had, and obviously we'll we'll talk about that in the later rounds. But you know, there was a lot happening in this round, Luke. I mean, obviously, thirteen cars. Cars remain. The Spring Fling Million is on the line. You, you, you know, you're going for the the fame, the glory, and uh, certainly a large paycheck. And there was a lot of money in this round that these guys had to to talk over. You know, to to discuss who was going to get what, if there was going to be anything done. Yeah. At this point, I guess just to rehash, like the remaining thirteen is a who's who of sportsman drag racing. I, I guess that's typically the case at, at any mega event like this. But this this event in particular seemed like it was nothing but star-studded. You know, I mean, I think it's one of those where there's over 200 entries. And if you could pick a dozen that would be the last dozen standing, I think the majority of people just drafting would pick, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine of these 13. Like it just seems like the guys in, that you would typically expect to end up there. We mentioned Andy Small on, on the no box side, Spencer Massey, Austin Williams, former NHRA world champion, Scotty Richardson, who's done everything in this sport. Those were the door cars. On the dragster side, Kevin Brandon, who obviously, spoiler alert, goes on to win the event. We'll discuss round by round. He's joined by Gary Williams, 
Danny Northrup, Johnny Ezo, Jeff Sarah. I mean, you just go hitter after hitter after hitter. Chris Galetti, Donnie Burleson, Dylan Howe, Doug Foley Jr. That's the 13 remaining. Like I say, it's a star-studded who's who. And to your point, Jed, 13 cars left in the million. This is typically the round, right? There's a lot of money in the pot. I went, I, I figured things up a little bit. Pete can verify this, but I believe there's $365,000 in the pot among these 13. And Jed, I don't remember the, if I was privy to the split numbers, I, it's, I've slept since then. It's been a year ago. I don't remember it, but this is the round it typically gets cut up. So what I want to do here is I want, I want you and I, Jed, to kind of predict. We've, we've been here before, right? An idea of how this normally gets split up. This is what the typical split would be. And then Pete's going to tell us, yeah, you guys are way off. This is what it actually was. So am I right, Pete, in the total amount coming in? Yeah, you nailed it. 365,013 left. Um, I'm not going to give anything away, but I'm just looking at the losers list. I, I wish I could just name them off. You want to talk about all stars. The, the losers list of round six was incredible. But um, yeah, that is to lead around these they split. Um, you know, as a as the event promoter. I'm stacked with paperwork with different um, and Luke, you've helped me with this in the past. And Marco helps me a lot with different scenarios because these guys are nervous and they don't I don't want them to have to think too much. I want them to keep their mind on a racing. So I never know what to expect when I come out there um, this time. Uh, it went fairly smooth this time in, in comparison to previous years in Vegas that we can hit on later. But um, yeah, you, you you nailed it. Uh, the only thing I'll ask is I want your guess first because I don't want. The Alabama boy to steal any of your math. I want to see how good he gets it. <laughs> okay, so just for, <laughs> for context, because I know there are racers watching this that say, and and just to frame this, that the advertised purse based on the on the car count, it's two hundred eighty five thousand dollars to win. Okay, yeah, two hundred sixty cars. Yep. Yeah, and there are those watching this that say, if I'm going to enter the million dollar race, if I win, I want two eighty five. And hey, I don't fault you, but keep this in mind. There's 13 cars left and we just rattled them off. It's the baddest of the bad. And if there's no cut here, the loser this round, it's three grand. It's a pretty widespread. That, that's why it's typically this round that this gets cut up. So let me make sure I understand you, Pete. Did you want Jed's math first? Yeah, I misspoke there. I want Jed's math first. All right, here we go. <laughs> you got 365 total to split up among 13 cars. How should this break down? Obviously, there's going to be six people that that goes that exits the race right here. They they were going to get three thousand, which is eighteen thousand total out of the purse. So typically, you know, you're you're trying to get to a number that equals a good race win. You know, maybe that's seventy five hundred, maybe that's eight grand, maybe that's nine ten grand. A lot of times they just want to double what they're getting right there, Luke. So it gets a little tricky, but at 13 remaining, it's a small enough number that I think the guys probably get a little more aggressive with 365,000 there. So I think you're going to see them take 10,000 each right here for 60,000 off the top of the purse and leave obviously 305 remaining for the final seven competitors. Yeah. And I would say you can do this one of two ways, but actually you can do this any number of ways. Obviously somebody could call flyer 
and and we're just racing for the advertised purse. Um, you could also make an agreement to say like, hey, every loser here is going to get to your point, Jed, ten thousand dollars each. And then we had three sixty five. So next round we're going to have three oh five to split up. The the flaw, the only flaw in that is in this race there's thirteen left. So somebody's getting a buy run now. They're probably not necessarily going to want to sign up for to, to take sixty thousand dollars out of the purse. And then the real sticking point is somebody's going to buy run next round as well. So typically, if there is a split here, it's not just an agreement for this round. It's kind of setting the purse the rest of the way, right? Most definitely, you know. Obviously, you don't want anyone to have control of it after there is some kind of discussion and, and agreement. So, so you take control out of it. You might you might leave a total number in the final for guys to work with, but I still think that that right here they should set this all the way through what the winner gets and what every individual racer would get at what point they exit the race. So um, you know, typically again, I think you're going to see about 10,000 here. That's 60,000. Um, that typically doubles in the round following. So I think you would get at 20, but right here, it's Vegas. It's definitely a big stage. It's people traveling from everywhere. And I think that's starting to weigh on some of these guys. So I'm going to say they're going to get 25 right here in the quarters. So there's going to be obviously three people exit the race in the quarterfinals. That's another 75,000 for 135,000 out of the 365, right? So we got 230 left. Correct? Is that math working, Pete? I uh, I'm not good at math. So um, 25 75 60 out. You'd have 135 out of 365. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. yeah. So we got 230 left. Yep. Yes. And uh you're you're going to have two people exit right here. And I think that they're going to keep that at around 35,000. They're only going to to get 10,000 more there in the semis for 70 more. And they're going to leave 160 thousand dollars in the final i think that's going 90 70 i think that leaves 165 but um no you're right 160 yeah i mean i'm not good at math pete but i, I think i i think i had it I'm with <laughs> go ahead pete no uh all right well that's your uh your prediction I got the I got the I got the uh, what actually happened right here in front of me. Let's hear Luke's prediction. Yeah, mine's real close to Jed's, and and actually he may have hit on it, and for the reasons that he that he identified, just that it's Vegas, and the majority of remaining competitors travel a long way, have a lot of expenses to get here, so the the cut could be a little bit deeper than what I think is quote unquote typical. What I would say is is generally typical at this is. Similar to what Jed had outlined, ten thousand dollars to lose at thirteen, double that twenty thousand to the three losers in the quarterfinals, <clears throat> and then uh, your semifinalists. I would say like thirty thousand dollars each, which would which makes the jump from semi to final pretty significant. But it would leave one hundred eighty thousand total in the final, which I assume would get split like one hundred to win and eighty to runner up, something along those lines. Like my general rule of thumb in this is the winner of the million, and it seems like it kind of holds true. 
Some in some cases, when there's more cars and there's more in the purse, they get more. But the general rule of thumb is like the winner should get six figures. So that cutoff just arbitrary number seems to be the winner gets a hundred or close to it. Um, so I, my guess is that it fell somewhere around that way. So how bad did we miss it? You know, I'm I'm impressed mainly by Jared. I wasn't sure how the Alabama math was gonna was gonna work out. <laughs> I love you, bud. Um, <laughs> You both, I can't really declare a winner because you're both really close. Um, I'll give you, uh, neither one of you has got it perfect, but you you both missed a little bit in, in one way or another, but you both got it damn close. Uh, so with uh, they, they chopped it up pretty good. With 10 left, you both got it right, I believe. Or I, I, maybe Jared said 25, but it was, it was I'm sorry, with six left, um, with thir- 13, with the round of 13, round six, they got 10K each. So you both nailed that. Um, the round, round seven, the three losers, there was a buy run and three losers. The three losers got 20 K each. Um, I think you both were a little bit off. Well, I think Luke, you got that right. And Jared, you were a little off, but you both bang a thousand so far. Yeah. yeah like a spot on. I said, they'd get 25 there. Yep. Um, semis for 40 each. They made a little bit bigger jump than I think both of you said. It left uh, 165 in the final. Um, they usually mock it up just in case somebody breaks. Uh, they made it 115 and 50 early on with the with the um, notion that they could readjust if both cars are healthy going into the final. Uh, and they made it. You nailed it, Luke. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen less than 100 six digits uh, in a million race, um, whether it's ours or anybody's. Um, but 100 to win for the KB and uh, Spencer in the door car, 65. Oh, I just gave away the. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're a year in retrospect. I think they know what's coming, right? Okay, yeah, all right. Let me ask this, and, and if anything jumps to memory, at 13 cars remaining here, Spencer Massey's sitting on the buy run. Was there any pushback from him in agreeing to this split? None. Yeah. And which is odd, especially at a race that big. He was very friendly. Um, I think some of it had to do with they knew there was going to be a buy next round. So they didn't want to fall into that. Um, but yeah, it, it went fairly smooth. You know, the, the one thing I noticed, I, I'm big on body language and I like, I like watching these guys. I watch them talk. Um, it's almost like a poker game. Like you watch some of these guys, the split round of a million of any million is, is the biggest deal of them all. Right. Um, but to, in a poker game, the people who act extra strong are the ones that are usually weak or the most nervous. And you, when you, when you, you can see some of the, some of the body languages change from just kind of neutral to bowed up and, those are the guys I'm if I'm racing, I'm not as worried about. It's the it's the even kill guys. It's the it's the uh the KB, the the Whitfields, the you know, you. Um it, it's those guys that that really got their stuff together that you can tell are are there not to play around. But yeah, it's it's always it's always amusing. And like I said, we can um talk about another another event there a few years back, which is much more dramatic. But um, yeah, that that was last year, 2022. Yeah, so Pete, let's go there. I mean, obviously, you know, there's always some discussions and and splits. While they're not necessarily quote unquote typical, um, they are common. But in 2019, 
Uh, that was not necessarily the case. No, and and it's very common to be at 16 or less. I don't think Luke and Jared, you've been a part of uh, Randy's Million, Jared, and you've been a part of ours. Uh, Luke, you've raced in a lot of them. Um, I don't think there's ever been a non-split that I can remember when you get to 16 or less. There's, um, Was Tomasi not, did he not call Flyer Luke in the early days of the OG? Before my time, Jed, before my time. Okay. You're talking uh, 1997, six? Yeah. I feel well, like I, I heard that he called Flyer. I think you might be right. I vaguely remember that. But for argument's sake, let's just say 90% of the time, I split yeah. those down at the 16. Sure. Um, and um, just flashing back to to 22, um, the round of 26, actually, uh, Hastings wanted to chop it all up. Um, and a lot of I said, yo, I don't know if you're going to be able to wrangle 25 guys to get on the same page. Uh, but uh, they they didn't do it. it was, some of the guys said it was too early and Hastings made his own deal. Um, but yeah, so 2019, right? It, it's, a, <laughs> it's a different scenario for a couple of reasons. Jerry, were you there in 19? Um, I was, yeah, 2019, okay. I was there. I remember um, so that, that moment. There's the same round, this round of 16, we had more cars than the, um, there was 465,000 that time. So basically about a hundred more thousand, right? Yeah. Um, with 16 left, uh, 465 in the pot <clears throat> to lose that round. Like Luke says, gets um let's see third round thousand two thousand the loser that round gets uh three thousand um i walk out there the whole crowd of people over here uh let's just say in the middle of the lanes talking splits underwood um is stuck tucked away kind of on his own in the corner and he had his back facing the crowd and i don't think that part went really well over with the rest of the crowd um so uh anyway underwood calls flyer so i go back over to the crowd and say uh, uh he's he wants to do he doesn't want to do anything and holy moly there was a lot of tension rising to the point when they why don't he come over here and talk himself tell him to get his ass over here um i said all right guys let me just go talk to him one more time i go over there i said ken you want to go talk to him you want to just you know, ease, ease the ball a little bit or something, uh, let him see your face. Uh, nope, nope, never turned around. I walked back over, and now the curse words started coming. Now, have him, uh, you know how it is, man. You got a 400-something thousand. Kenny's a good guy, but these guys took it the wrong way. There was no buy run to talk of. Um, so um, it got to the point when, where they said, they told me, let them two go first. And we'll we'll stay out of the cars and we'll see if he loses, then we'll make a split. And uh that that was the point I kind of stood up and said, guys, you've got this far because your mind's on racing, not because your mind's on the money. Don't do this to yourselves. Stick, stick, go out there and race and make your own deals with your with your partner if, if you guys want to make deals. And um, and don't take yourself out of the game. Just go out there and race. You, you're gonna wait another 20 minutes and you're going to take yourself out of the game. So they they agreed. They did it. And uh, I can tell you one thing. Pennington versus Underwood was the first pair out. And when Pennington's win light came on, 
the place went nuts. I mean, all the crew, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was the most dramatic uh, split talk I've ever seen or been a part of. And just to to clarify that a little bit, maybe for the, the un, un, uninitiated viewer, if in a situation like that, obviously it was Peeps, right, Pennington? Obviously, Peeps has no options. Like his opponent doesn't want to do anything, so they're racing for whatever's on the flyer. Everybody else in that instance, typically, if they're all of the notion to split, Pete mentioned like side deals, basically making a deal with your opponent. It's not uncommon at all in that situation for each pairing to make some agreement like, um, hey, the winner is going to kick 10% of whatever their final check is back to the loser in this round. So let's say that Jed and I are paired up in that round and there's not a field wide deal, but he and I make an arrangement. He beats me. He ends up going to the semifinals and wins $40,000. Well, I would get $4,000 of that. So that would be really common in the event that there's not a field-wide split, that there's one or two people saying, no deal, we're racing for the flyer, which is great for everybody that's not racing that one or one or two people. For, for peeps in that situation, like it's he's in the same situation that Underwood is. It's all or nothing. And everybody's in their right to do that. And there's nothing against racing for the flyer as advertised. It's But for this type of money, I would say it's it's pretty rare, right? It is. And... and uh... I'll let Jared tune in here and uh, chime in, I should say. But uh, like I said, I think it was more the way and, you know, race when you're racing for that kind of money, some, you know, you use any use intimidation. I mean, um, Scotty and Edmund used intimidation in the 80s a lot and and really had people beat before they even staged up. So I think Kenny's lack of communication and with his back turn body language just rubbed everybody just said it's all to the wound there but what do you think jared yeah definitely i can remember the vibe going around there immediately and and i remember seeing a, you know a little bit of stress on you because that's a position you were put in a position you didn't want to be in you know as a as a promoter you really just want to report what's there and then let them take care of that but obviously you could see the vibe, the the mood change immediately when when he did what he did. So I can just remember how that changed everybody, uh, their mindset right there. And you know, the fact that he knew we had peeps, and he still said that, I think just had everybody a little more pissed off because you know who who does he think he is? He, I mean, he's racing peeps, and and he's not he's not even going to do a deal. You know, obviously they were probably talking on the side, who knows, but uh, I, I, I can just remember everybody having an opinion and, you know, there was also people online that that news spread very quickly and the people watching online were just going nuts. So the whole thing was was pretty wild. And again, it's it's just a matter of choice. You know, it's it's not required to split. It is very, very common and it's understandable why anybody would, but it's not required. So he didn't really do anything wrong, but he certainly ruffled a lot of feathers uh, with his decision. I'll stand up for him. Like, I, I think it's ballsy as hell. <laughs> I mean, it, it's and to Pete's point, like there is an aspect of this. There's not much that you can do to get in the heads of the caliber of racers that are still in at that point, but it has become such um, the expectation 
that, hey, we get to this point, like that fifth round wind light comes on and you just assume like, all right, I've covered the weekend. I got at least 10 grand coming. And someone says no to that. Like it reframes everything. I don't think that it's, I don't, I'm not saying that you can get a racer like a a Peeps Pennington off of his game in any way. And obviously in this case, didn't. But for a lot of competitors, like that mood shift, that that can definitely be a, a mental challenge to overcome. And I think, I don't know what would have happened had had Kenny won that round and continued on. But if he continues to call flyer, like I just think that situation elevates and elevates and elevates as we go. Like I, I don't know, I don't know what it's like to set the button and there be a hundred and fifty thousand dollars riding on that round. Like I would like to think I could perform in that instance, but I have no idea. And you know what? Neither does anyone else because none of us have ever done it. Point. Great point. And you know, Luke, I can't remember if it was 18 or 19, but uh, Kenny was on one of the the biggest heaters that we had ever seen during a, you know, a 18 month stretch of racing. So you know, there was probably a lot of confidence in his mind and, and certainly there was a psychological advantage to to his strategy as well. And, you know, obviously it didn't play out, but I think he uh, I think he still collected a, a pretty decent payday in the end. And, and he was. He was this close to getting in everybody's head, so it he he if he if that was his intention to to try to get a little bit of a mental edge. He was there. Like I had to calm these guys down. There was, there was people ready to fight. I'm not kidding. It was, it was intense. That's probably why you saw my face a little ruffled, uh, Jerry, when I came back to the tower, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was definitely pretty intense, but when, and, and if Kenny would have beat peeps in front of everybody, that could have changed everyone's mindset too. Just sitting back and watching that. Um, but Peeps won, and I think he got the mojo. He went on to the final, and in that, in that final, it was two hundred one thousand left uh, in the purse. It was it was bigger splits, bigger money, and uh, Peeps ended up getting one twenty one. And uh, who ran it up? Uh, is it uh, that Shane Carr that year? Shane Carr uh, got um, eighty. Yep, yep, that's right. I remember that well. Okay, so circling back now to the the 2022 million, the the purse has been set. I guess with with some possible finagling yet to be done in the final. Losers now at 13 are going to get 10 grand. Basically, every round doubles that more or less going forward. Um, before we actually get into round six, the the 13 remaining cars, I do think it's worth noting. I, I spent a fair amount of time just kind of pouring over all the data, all the run sheets, watching through the live feed from the early rounds of this. And this was everything that you would expect of uh, a spring fling million, right? Like not only the names, but the runs being made, the packages. It was brutal out there, specifically in round five, the round leading up to the split. And I do think it's worth noting, I mean, 13 pairs went down the track in round five and the majority were double O on the tree, several low double O. I think it's worth noting there was not a single red light in round five, right? The 26, 25, 26 cars that went down the track, nobody turned it red. And part of you could say, well, that's typical. It's the round before the split. Everyone's airing toward being perhaps a little bit more conservative than typical, but the the reaction times didn't show that. Like there's a lot of double O's. Nobody turned it red. I, that stood out to me. 
Yeah, very interesting stat, Luke. Uh, you're you know you're going to you're going to usually get the the most significant round right there. You're going to get some results that are there that sway from where the average was so you're going to get some of those red lights and you're going to get some 035s and 027s and those types of things but these results said everyone was dialed in and focused and just continued to to do what had gotten them there which is pretty rare as i've seen quite a few million dollar uh, races and the late rounds can get a little sloppy and before you get into the, the round of 13, Luke, I want to challenge you guys one more time. So I, I have the sheets here for uh, 19 when there was the no split. So obviously that was probably the most pressure any driver ever had. Probably in a lifetime. Um, no split and lose against 3,400 something left in a thousand left in the pot. What do you guys think the average reaction time was um, of round? of that round in 19. Oh, and this is all green lights. Were there any red lights lights there, Peter? Uh, There's no red lights. No red lights. Okay. All green lights. Um, I'm going to say the average out of all all 19 competitors was 019. Okay. Um, that's, I feel like it's going to be a higher average than normal, but that seems overly conservative to me. I'll go with like, uh, 15. Oh, 25. Holy smokes. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's getting, that's loose. And, uh, there was a lot, a lot of pressure being felt. So yeah, it makes sense. Juxtapose that, and you you may have figured this already, Pete, but the the round prior to the split in the 2022 million that we're going to discuss, there's a couple of outliers that probably raised the average up. There was there was one loser that was 60, there was another loser that was 90. But if you throw those two out, like there's a couple of 20 lights. There's 25 cars went down the track in round five. Nine of them were double O something. So almost 40% of the field. And even those that missed, I mean, there's two three there's five lights total that are 20 or worse in round five out of 25 like it was a pretty nasty round yeah and i'm not going to give anything away for round six of the 2022 million but just looking at the losers list the winners numbers must have been pretty damn strong (laughs) must have been okay so so now here we are we're we're down to 13 cars uh first pair out um you've got uh, Corey Gulletti versus, or what's it, Chris Gulletti? It Chris was Chris Gulletti. It was Chris Gulletti, yeah. Uh, versus uh, J, uh, Gary Williams, G Dub. And G Dub started the day by winning the Brodick's run for the 50K. So he was already off to a great start to his day. Um, he did not lay down the perfect run and win 50K, but he did win uh, the Brodick's. Uh, SR20 heads. Uh, I know what the prize is because uh, I got to hold those one time myself out in Vegas with a little three pack. But nonetheless, <laughs> what Gary did that does. morning too, like it was the about the damnedest thing I'd ever seen, right? Because I believe yes. that was, yeah, there was there was four drivers that laid down five thousand packages. Those were the best drums in the um, for the money. 
You have the stats. Is that what it was? Yeah. And two of those drivers were named Gary Frick and Williams. Yeah. On both entries, yeah, that's right. they laid down five total. That's right. Both entries. Yep. Yeah. Perfect dead five on one and one dead four on the other. Uh, and by all accounts, it looked like Gary was making a full time shot and showing what his car was capable of running and, and what it, you know, would normally be dialed around, but that, that wasn't necessarily uh, the case, Luke. And run for the money, I think it was. Like, uh, I'll run for the money, yeah, but what, where his dial ended up being, you know, yeah. not necessarily the case. A little discrepancy. So we'll play a little game here. And, and this is, we'll do this throughout specifically this round, because not only are the remaining competitors, does it read like a who's who of sportsman drag racing, they're also some of the most renowned finish line drivers in the country and guys that aren't afraid to wheel the dial in up. So we're going to play a little game here. How much is Gary holding? Now, keep in mind, Gary Williams, he's dialed in the, in the 480 range. He's running Chris Galitti, who's one of the faster cars on the premises, going mid 440s. Gary's probably given up close to 10 mile an hour here. That would scare off a lot of people from dialing up. Okay. Gary's dialed a 482 in this instance. Pete, don't cheat. Look at the docs. What do you think Gary could go? 478.7. Okay. <laughs> Pete knows the game plan. I, I looked up <laughs> Gary's prior runs. The three rounds prior, he was going 78.3, 78.5, 78.7. So the car is good. He can dial whatever he wants. Um, he chooses to dial 82. So he's holding a good three and a half, four hundreds here, despite getting chased. Galitti looks to be dialed honest. He just went 446.5 at 155. I can't imagine that that thing's got much more than that. He's dialed 446. Wow. He So Galitti was only holding a couple of thousands? No, not even that. He just went 46.5 wide open. That's really odd for him. We are coming back with 13 cars. The 13 cars that we are coming back with the pairings look like this if you are listening in online. We got Spencer Massey coming back on the solo. G-Dub with lane choice over Chris Galitti. Burleson with lane choice over Andy Schmall. Jeff Sarah with lane choice over Dan Northrup. Doug Foley Jr. with lane choice over Johnny Ezell. Scotty Richardson with lane choice over Kevin Brannon and Austin Williams with lane choice over Dylan Howe. First pair, Gary Williams, Chris Galetti, here we go. Both drivers are double O on the tree and the wind light's gonna turn on for Galetti. Double O one and four. 47 on a 446 Galitti. Gonna win this one. Gary Williams, G-Dub was 005, take 14 thou at the stripe. And goes 481 on a 482, 14 at the finish line, breaking out by eight thousandths of a second as Dan Northrup and Jeff Sarah. First thing first here, before we even dissect the numbers, that was a fantastic dry hop from a 440 dragster with 13 <laughs> cars left in the million dollar race. 
Yeah, definitely shows Chris was having fun, which uh, all that knows him knows he's a he's that kind of guy just out there enjoying his himself himself and you know competing at a high level like he always does. But a dry hop at thirteen in the million, yeah, that says you're you're relaxed, you're enjoying yourself. And then he backs it up by making a, a tremendous run. He's double one on the tree, goes four forty seven zero on the four forty six. That's eleven total on paper. Um, it looks like Gary takes, I would say more stripe than he meant to. He's five take 14 for all, for those of us that are human at the finish line. That's a pretty good lap. I don't think Gary was happy with it, but upon a little bit further inspection, Chris made this tough. Like I said, he was just, he just went 446.5. He dialed 46. You've got to assume he's honest. He's down not a ton here, but he's down two mile an hour to go 47.0. Like that's, that may not be a full hundredth, but it's probably every bit of seven, eight thou. That was just enough to make to push Gary under. He might have been under anyway, but it, it makes Chris eleven package, but a bit of a moving target. Gary takes fourteen, and what's the math, Jetty? Had to take six to win. Yeah, and, and Gary was was taking double O. I mean, he yeah. was he was doing his job. He was taking double O, and and obviously Chris scrubbed off some very late, and Luke gets you know based on how he got rid of that. And I know you, you know, these numbers way better than most, uh, that could have been, you know, four or five thou, or it could have been seven or eight thou based on how he did it. But I, I think he did it late and I think you're spot on. I think he killed seven thou there. So Gary was taking seven, uh, to the eye. So he was doing a, a fantastic job of driving as always, and just come up short to a great run. And both drivers, I mean, both drivers totally did their job with the with the big money on the line. But let's let's remember, they both know. I guarantee you they both know that that buy is next round, and um, they're double o one and double o five. So kudos to them. Yeah, very good point, Pete. So next up, we got Northrop and Sarah. Uh, speaking of Holden. Uh, Sarah, you know, his, his strategy doesn't seem to change, Luke, no matter who he's racing. Let's continue the game. What can Jeff go? All right. So <laughs> this is a good one because just as a little bit of context, Jeff, Sarah flew out, was driving a borrowed car and really put on a show in, I guess it was Wednesday's main event, Wednesday's 30 grander rolling down to six cars left in that race. Jeff had not one, but two entries. He ended up dropping them both. He lost one at six. He lost one at three. But the the show that he was putting on, the, the runs that he was making, I guess it's what we've come to expect from Jeff Sarah. It was double O, take double O, holding a year. I mean, just doing what Jeff Sarah does, right? And obviously he's advanced to this point in the million dollar main event, putting on a similar show. So Pete, I'll throw it back to you. Jeff Sarah. For this particular round, um, he had been, let's see, let's see, let's see. He had been dialed 469 the prior rounds. For this round, round six, he wheels it down to a 460, where are my notes here? 466, so he just dialed down three. Now, if you know Jeff Sarah, you know he can still go under that. How much is Jeff Sarah holding? What do you think he can go? Who is he running? He is paired up with Danny Northrup. Um, I'm going to say, uh, four, low 462. Okay. So you're saying he's still holding four. So I, I pulled up some of the data on this and let me preface this with this, the round prior to this, the round before the split, my vantage point for this 
at the facility, we were sitting in the bleachers, probably around the 400 foot mark. And in round five, Jeff Sarah, who's again, he's going low 470s, dialed low 470s, high 460s. He's racing one of the fastest cars on the grounds, about 430 something. And as Jeff comes by me, I'm just, I'm intent watching Jeff Sarah, right? I don't really care about anything else. I want to, I want to understand better how he does what he does. And he leaves the starting line, double O, and I never see his head turn just past 3.30, about the time he gets to my vantage point, still looking dead ahead, two good hard rips, and then gets his first look back. That's how much he was holding, right? It doesn't matter where he is. I got to kill some right away. And then I'm, and I'm just watching this and I'm laughing going, how, this is amazing, right? Because not only does he take 10 against a 4.30 car, and go dead on like he pumped the throttle before he even turned around <laughs> it was just it was the damnedest thing i've ever seen so now when i come into this round he, he dials down some i thought it was impressive in the moment guys watching him do what he did i pulled up the run sheets it's a whole nother level because he with all due respect like obviously he's in good equipment driving a borrowed car he might have been in the worst car at the racetrack that day. Like it wasn't just because he dialed up because he can. He dialed up because he had to. It, at this point in the day, now granted, Vegas gets a little bit um, tricky because you just have bigger weather swings than anywhere else. So this gets jaded. But even in comparison to other cars, at one point during the day, Jeff Sarah could go 458 wide open. He made another run where he was going 467 wide open. Like the car moved nine hundredths of a second throughout the day. And again, it's Vegas. So like Gary Williams car, I think moved three or four. It doesn't just set on a number like it might at some other races tracks that we're used to on the East Coast, but nine hundredths is a ton. And it wasn't like on back-to-back rounds, it was subject to move three, four hundredths. So in this case, Jeff wasn't just holding out of out of want to, there was no other option, right? So as we come into this round, earlier in the race, he's dialed like 69, 70. And there's a round, it looks like he was going 66. Another round, it looks like he was going 64, 65. Like the car looked like it had kind of settled in. Well, the round prior, the round I just talked about where he's racing the 430 opponent, his car sped up almost 300s out of nowhere. He's going 462 which makes the job that he did against that 430 car all the more impressive. But now you're coming into this round and I mean, I guess Pete spot on and saying Jeff styled um, 66 here and holding four, if you base it off of the last round, but I'm looking at all of his run sheets and all of his incremental times. And all I can tell you is I think Jeff can go somewhere between 61 and 65 and he's dialed 66. Like, I don't know how he could predict it any closer than that at that point. You know, I couldn't imagine what's going through his head, but obviously, I mean, he's, he's trying to, to get as close to it as, as what it'll run as he can comfortably get. But, you know, I guess the strategy there is still the same. It's be double O and take double O, you know, you, you don't have quite as much control of that when you're, when your car's moving around that much and you don't know what it'll go. So I guess the the mission was just take as little as possible and see what happened. The the average I guess the point of what I'm trying to say is the average racer in that car in that moment has zero chance to win this race. 
But we watched Jeff Sarah win the Great American Guaranteed Million in a car that was way worse than this. Like he won that race in that Chevy too. I think it moved over a 10 when nobody else was moving. Like if there is yeah. if there's someone you want in this situation, it, he's that guy. Yeah, very well said. As Dan Northrup and Jeff Sarah. Northrop right side out of Pennsylvania. 475 is the dial, and Jeff Sarah with a 466 number rolling up in Jeff Taylor's car. Head start will go to the racer out of Pennsylvania. And with 13, we're going to be coming back at 7. Pre-stage bulbs lit. Now all four on top of the Christmas tree. Tree drops and ooh, baby. Jeff Sarah misses the tree by four thousandths of a second. 004 on the red side. Sarah exits the competition here in round number six. Dan Northup, 006 and 474 on the 475. Northup gets the win light. Yeah, obviously staying aggressive there as a as a rule for all the racers and you know with Jeff with his car moving around so much obviously you know he was probably ultra aggressive right there and it it turned 4000 on the wrong side. Yeah, I mean you never want to turn it red late in an event of this nature but to your point Jed like I feel like Jeff had little other option than to set up real low double O's. So I don't think it's any shock that this turns red. And and I think setting up that tight was justifiable given the situation. And to be completely transparent, I mean, we've seen Jeff Sarah be superhuman, so I wouldn't put anything by him. But Danny's a really tough out to begin with, and especially in this round. Like Northrop makes the run that I'm sure he wanted to make. He's six. He goes ahead and legs it out after the red light, goes a full hundredth under the dial in, 74-0 and a 75. I assume that's about what he was shooting for. Like, I think he would have made, laid down a sub 10 package somewhere in that range here. Like he's going to be really difficult to beat, especially given Sarah's game plan coming in. Yeah, very likely. Great point. All right, Luke, the holding continues. Next up is Doug Foley Jr. and JBR, Johnny Bracket Racer, Johnny Ezell. We all know Ezell is, is much like the, the ones we've just discussed he is comfortable holding a big number. All right, Pete. What can Johnny go? He is dialed 459, giving chase to Doug Foley Jr., who's dialed, I think, in the low 70s, if I remember correctly. Well, it's late in the race. He's probably got the car figured out pretty good, but it's Johnny Zell. So uh, he's probably not changing anything. He... Um, he beats to his own drum, and I've never seen anything like it. Um, I mean, there's Gary Williams and and Scotty Richardson, those guys, they know how to go dead on, but this guy does it in an unorthodox way, and he does it every time, it seems like. Uh, so 459 was his was his dial. I'll, I'll say he I'll say he was going a, a high 455. You're pretty good at this, Pete. Um the the previous, I watch a lot. The previous two <laughs> rounds, it looks like Johnny was going 55-8. 56.5. So I'd say high 55, low 56. He's dialed 59 here. 
Um, and I think worth noting that the round prior to this, the round coming into the split, Doug Foley Jr. had the buy run. And it was kind of like the talk of the town at the time. Foley was 13 total on the buy run, dialed up three tenths. Um, <laughs> yeah, was double two on the tree. Looked like he just shut off at 330, coasted the rest of the way. His dialed from up from 470 to 499. And I believe he went five flat with a one. Got a lot of attention at the time. Obviously, if you know Doug's background, spent a lot of time in, in driving school cars. Probably got a really good idea of what just a deadlift at 330 kills, but put on a little show for the fans. Definitely won the, the social media contest, right? Like got everybody's attention. That run probably got shared as much as the final. So Foley's coming off of that. Um, we just, we know that Johnny can run 300s under the dial in. And as this run plays out, like, I don't think, I think we see something that no one expected coming in. We'll return with six others who are gonna be coming back as Johnny Ezel. How about this? Doug Foley Jr. out of North Carolina, 472 the dial on the left side of the track and Johnny Ezel with a 459 dial on the right side. Johnny Bracket Racer. Getting closer and closer into the big money here. Oh my. Question is going to be what happened there. Doug Foley, double one gets the win like. Yeah, so obviously uh, Johnny, you know, something went wrong and, and missed the tree there. And those are one of those as an announcer, you know, you just, you cringe because you obviously you don't want to say it. Obviously, everybody sees that it's bad and it didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And you don't want to say those numbers, but that's not just a miss. Something something else happened there. I think the takeaway for me here is that even Johnny is human. Because I think I, I I want to say Nate actually elaborated on this a little bit later. I think Johnny came up to the tower and it was like, what happened? Johnny's like, I had. I let go on nothing. I had to push it back in, right? Obviously, something happened here, and and Johnny got out of out of sequence, out of rhythm, or it's a loss of focus, whatever the case may be. I watched this several times, and I kind of played it back a few times, trying to to determine what that was. It didn't look like there was anything out of out of the ordinary in the staging process. I think it's just one of those lapses of attention that everybody has, even somebody like Johnny, uh, and, and even a, you know one of the most un, inopportune times. I did watch this. I don't know if you guys caught it in real time. Johnny staged first, fully staged. There's a beat. And then you could hear Johnny go up on the chip. And I initially thought like he got all, all mixed up all the way around. But I watched back. That's what he'd been doing. And that's not all that uncommon for Johnny Zell. My assumption, it, and it's in a weird spot. Like it's not right when both cars stage and it's before the tree comes on that, that he put, put it on the chip here, but it had been doing it all weekend. And I, my sense is, I, I don't think I've ever asked Johnny about this directly. My sense is it's, it's, he does that for one of two reasons and perhaps both. I think part of it is his way of breaking up a tree that's maybe a little bit longer than he's comfortable. Like just chipping it takes that extra beat and, and kind of tells him when to be ready for it. And then two, and I can speak to this from just being in the other lane. It's kind of jarring because he, he's going to the chip at a time where, you know, every now and then you'll have somebody that just stages and puts it right on the popper. 
And most of the time, people are waiting until the tree comes on and then you go on the chip. Like he goes on the chip at about a, at about the time where it can be distracting. Like you're like, whoa, what was that? And then the tree comes on, right? So I don't know if that's some of the methodology behind it, but I just wanted, if you picked up on that watching and thought, well, Johnny got out of rhythm right from the beginning. I don't think that's necessarily the case. This was very much the routine, but obviously something pushed him astray in this particular round. Yeah, something definitely went wrong there. And Foley was 001. So, you know, obviously it was going to be extremely difficult to handle. Johnny had been hitting the tree very well. He was uh, 18 on his worst hit and he was 11 or better on the hits outside of that one. So obviously had he let go in his normal uh, sequence, he would have, uh, he would have given Foley all he wanted, but being 001 up front and knowing your way around the finish line is hard to beat. Yeah, and like I said, guys, I watch a lot of racing, and and uh, you know, as a racer, I'm really watching these guys because you know that's uh, that's I'm cut from that cloth. I I love the sport. Um, Johnny does that every single time, and he does it like you said, Luke. He he does it at a spot, and you say, "How the heck can he concentrate?" He's doing it right before the bulb comes on. Um, so yeah, and I talked to some of his friends, and and it's hearsay, but. They say he does that for, you know, it doesn't screw him up, but it screws the other, can screw the other guy up. But it, again, to be able to do that, I have pretty good focus, but to mat it right as right before the bolt comes on, I'm not sure I can get used to that. Yeah, Wes May does something similar. Like they're the only two that I've seen do that. Like you know, probably a, it seems like a half a second before the tree lights, they go to the chip. Yeah, and uh, I assure you, when you've got four mufflers on your car and it's kind of quiet in there, that is that can be distracting. You 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 need to know it's coming and be prepared for it for sure. So there probably is uh, many many different strategies for doing that, but if it's t- trying to distract your opponent, uh, I think that can work sometimes to their advantage as well. So next up, Luke, we've got Andy Small, which Andy's arguably the most accomplished bottom bulber in big money bracket racing outside of Nick Hastings. Um, You know, maybe in terms of uh, late round appearances and how deep he goes in the race, Andy could be as as successful as anyone or or more successful than anyone, but just in sheer dollars and and the size of the events that uh, this is happening. And I think Nick is probably the only one that, that has had better results than Andy. And he's got Donnie Burleson. Donnie uh, out of Texas, capable racer, very fast, and, you know, facing a bottom bulber. So, you know, it always, it always runs through my head. Does that change their strategy at all? So this is the round after everybody got combined. The, in the previous round, Andy won the final round of the pro category, defeated the aforementioned Nick Hastings in that final. And Pete, you you may be able to verify this. It was my understanding that upon advancing through the pro field, Andy actually put the box back in the car for these late rounds. That's what makes him so dangerous. I mean, he's he's not afraid to to uh to switch it up and have confidence. He's running all day off the bottom and just maybe he made a time shot on Tuesday off the top, but that was it. <laughs> so that's that's pretty incredible. No, I yes, think, yeah, do I think that. he had two entries, one on top, one on bottom. So he had some, some data, right? Okay. So he had, but he had lost um, third round on his box entry where, oh, by the way, he was 009, that only the one for the L. 
<laughs> but he goes a few more rounds in no box. But to your point, like I, I think it's a, it had to be a, I don't want to say it was a difficult decision for Andy to put the box back in like he had that data, but there had to be second thoughts in the, to win the pro category. Andy Schmal trips it perfect in round one, 003 round two, 20 in round three, 14 in round four, 14 in the final. And I would assume that between the, the trip zip and the 003 and the others, that there was some sort of adjustment made to back off just a little bit. So I feel like Andy's kind of naming his light on the bottom and you're rolling. And then to just say, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to hit the bottom anymore. I'm just going to put the box back in. Like there had to be a, a, a thought in his mind is like, I'm rolling pretty good. I might ought to just let this ride. Right. It, there wasn't only a thought because I was with Andy in the staging lanes that round and he was he was second guessing himself all the way to the time he got into the car. Um, and I remember said to, I think I said something like, dude, you, you're killing it either way. Just you, you, you know, uh, I wanted to give him a little confidence because he looked like he was really beating himself up about the decision. But uh, I didn't realize he had those lights leading up to it. But um, Burleson, um, I don't know, maybe Burleson slacked off a little bit. Let's let's watch it. That's trouble. Andy Schmall, Donnie Burleson. So on Wednesday, our pro car ended up winning the whole thing. Can Andy Schmall do the same thing here in the million? He's got Burleson over on the other side. Burleson dialed in at 454, Schmall dialed in at 597, and Andy Schmall takes care of business against Burleson. Schmall 11 green and 597 on a 597, bang, 18 total. Donnie Burleson was 29 green leaving this end of the racetrack and is locked out. Runs 455 on a 454 and the Beretta so obviously Andy Small gets the win right there. Another stellar run, eleven dead seven. Doesn't matter if you're on the top or the bottom. That's a that's a solid, solid lap. Donnie a little late there, comes up twenty-seven thou behind, and Andy moves on. But just just listening to Nate. I love to listen to Nate. I, I forget how good Nate is when I get to go back and, and hear these types of things, you know. But Andy, the bottom barber. Got the box in, moving on to round next. Yeah, and I don't want to speculate there. Obviously, that that run was uncharacteristic for Donnie B. It did look like, just watching it there on the live feed, it looked like he staged relatively quickly, or, or actually extremely quickly. And that might be the routine. That might be the norm. But I just wonder if something didn't make him feel rushed, or perhaps that was a mistake staging that might have triggered the, the poor reaction time, because that's not... That's not what you typically see from Donnie Burleson, especially late in the race with this with the chips in the middle. Yeah, very good point. All right, so next up we got Dylan Howe and Austin Williams. Guys are very familiar with one another, uh, certainly from a credential standpoint, but probably don't see a lot of each other. But here they are at the Spring Flame Million Loop squared up. I would venture to guess this big Jed Dylan Howe. He's been around. He's seen some things. I'm gonna say. This is the first time he'd ever staged beside a five-second Ford Bronco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty rare occasion for most anyone. But I bet you're right for Dylan. 
Knocks down another one of the bigs is Dylan Howe and Austin Williams. Dylan coming down out of Oregon, 457 for the Cascade Trailers team and for the Bronco. The Pro One ride out of Texas, 588. Bronco gets to leave first. The dragster of Dylan going to run him down. He'll pass him. The question just is where? Three thousandths of a second, the difference between the two in reaction time, and it's going to be Dylan. 17 green, and then goes 4.58 on the 4.57 dial. Austin Williams was 20 green and ends up 300 above where he predicted he would be. Dylan Howe gets to the stripe first by 24 thousandths of a second, lights up the scoreboard. So Dylan obviously gets the win there by almost two and a half hun. Austin just a little bit tardy, certainly not the the number he was looking for. And, and obviously didn't look the way he wanted it to look down there. And I think he set it down to to be three over the dial, Luke. Obviously not the run that Austin Williams wanted to make coming into this round, but I, I will say this. I could watch him stage that. Do you, can you call a Bronco a truck? What is a Bronco? I could watch him stage that every day for a week. Like that, that I feel like not necessarily at this level, right? Everybody that's that's in this race is super precise about staging. But if you want to have like a how-to class and and emphasize how important it is to put whatever vehicle you're driving into the beams at the same spot every time, just watch that on a loop. The the it looks like Austin's moving that thing a 64th of an inch at a time. And the whole thing, it's just, it's staging one-on-one. It was great. Obviously it didn't work out in this particular round. I, both neither driver, I think had the light that they were necessarily shooting for in a typical Saturday night bracket race, Jed, like 17 to 20, fine. It's not, it's not what anybody's shooting for late rounds in the million. Um, and then Austin, if I remember correctly, there was some type of mechanical failure on the Bronco on that run. I, I think it, actually pushed the distributor up out of the holder or something and developed a, a miss um, that, that put him over. I'm not sure that he's winning anyway. I think Dylan was down a little bit. He's probably going low dead on, but, uh, but that would explain the the three above the dial in for a, the, that Bronco had been really, really good all day leading up to that point. Yeah, most definitely. So now we're at another one of those epic pairings that, you know, it's, it's got, Everything you want to see in a race pairing uh, between two, I mean, all-time greats, and that's KB and Scotty. So, you know, obviously, we know how this ended up, ultimately, this round and the event. But, you know, can either one of these guys have much confidence in thinking they're going to get by the other. I don't I don't really know how the mindset is playing into all this, but both of these guys know they got their hands full right here. Pete could probably speak to the mindset portion of this. Like, I think they both had tremendous confidence that they were going to get by each other, but obviously there's a, there's a level of respect there and knowing that one's going to lose. I'll say this just from my vantage point, like I, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm watching this live at the facility at mid-track. I feel like this is saying a lot given the quality of the remaining field. Like we just talked about, it is a who's who. When these two rounded the corner, 
I turned to my wife and I said, whoever wins this is going to win the race. Like this is, this is the matchup. And again, that's saying a lot with the field that, that, that was remaining, but you've got KB, obviously a, a former million dollar race winner, Scotty, who's won everything, right? Everything except a million. Well, I take that back. He had won the, the, the Bristol fling. So he's the only, he's the last remaining former winner of this event. Um, and to have these two square off, like it's, it's a clash of the Titans to be certain. And I agree. Uh, both of them has the hand, had the hands full and both of them are really good at just realizing I just got to put a good rundown and beat this guy. And both, I would think had a lot of confidence. Um, most importantly, like you said, Luke, um, not only the person who went the guy who wins that round is going to maybe win the race like you called it, but the confidence boost you get after beating Scotty Richardson um, has got to be a good shot in the arm. All right, so let's dive into strategy a little bit here, just because you've got two guys. There's a significant speed difference here. Scotty's in the Chevy 2 going 6.0s. KB's in the borrowed dragster going 450s. But you've got two guys that I don't really care what's going on in the other lane. Like They are capable of executing any given strategy here. On this particular run, the car that, that Kevin's driving, and we'll dig deeper into this later, been really good throughout the day. Best I can tell, he might be able to go 459.8, 459.9. He likes to go with the 460 here. So if anything, he's holding a couple thousands. Scotty, a little bit harder to tell because he can be so manipulative at the finish line. But best I can tell, he's going like low 608, maybe high 607. He dials 608. So you've got two of the best at the finish line here, both just saying, daring the other to beat them. Both saying, hey, I'm going to try to be double O and load it on. If I'm going to kill anything, it's a couple thousandths of a second. Let's see what you got. With that kind of talent and equipment, Luke, uh, you know, both of these guys capable, as you said, of any strategy out there, and they're both holding a hundredth or less. Why would that be? Why would why would you not do what got you there? I I don't think it's fair to say that the speed difference didn't dictate the majority of this. Um, they're both in really good cars. Obviously, Scotty's got a trust in that Chevy two and that combination. Um, and and if you just look at the 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 split times, the incrementals leading up to this round, that car of, of the Haugs that. Kevin's driving it. It may have been the best car at the racetrack. Like it just didn't move all day. So that gives you confidence that you can just choose a dial in and, and depend on the car if need be. That said, if these two are both dialed 450 something, I don't think there's any chance that they're both dialed that close. I, I think what ultimately decided this is the fact that there's 40 mile an hour difference in between them and they're both in really good stuff. And they both just said, I'm going to make a run that I don't think you can beat. To that point, okay. uh, Jared um, and Luke, it, the Scotty just came off winning the the twenty twenty million in in uh, Spring Fling Million in Bristol, and I watched a lot of his runs, especially as the rounds went on. He was dialed tight. Um, he was, you know, and it, I think I do believe that the speed difference had a lot to do with it. But it's kudos to them because they're two of the best, and they didn't let the egos play into it. They 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 raced to turn the wind light on, knowing that their car, like Dylan, I, I don't know how good Scotty's car was, but I'm sure it was pretty good for him to dial tight. Dylan's car, um, uh, Rabbit, 
he basically says the car is better than me right now. And the car is moving 5,000, whatever it was. And for him to take five or less at the stripe um, against a six-second door car is tough. There's now Scotty Richardson and Kevin Brannon. Brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Scotty, former million winner. The last of the former million winners standing. 6.08 the dial. For the copper color Nova. Kevin Brannon in the dragster. The chase is on. Winlight's going to go to Brannon. There will be a new spring fling million champion crowned here tonight. Kevin Brannon, 14 green, and dead on one ends up 15 total, getting there first by eight thousandths of a second. So, obviously, the strategy to just hit the tree and go dead on and see where the wind line falls worked out for both racers. They both did that, but KB did it just a little bit more gooder, Luke, and got on the right side of that one. Yeah, 14 to 17 on the tree, both drivers dead on, KB a little bit closer on that end as well, dead on one, gets their first eight thousandths of a second. And I had mentioned coming in, I thought there was a possibility it looks like Kevin could go maybe a thousandth or two under. It looks like he was thinking the same thing. Cause obviously at this point, I, I don't, I don't think he took eight thousandths of a second, right? I, I think he's going to go kill a couple of thousands to make sure that he's safe. He's down one and a half mile an hour by the incrementals. It looks like he's going 59, seven. He got rid of four thousandths, threads the needle to be dead on one, getting their first eight thousandths. That's the run you expect to see out of those two. Maybe even like a little bit sloppier package than you expect to see out of both of them. Like I'd expect them both to be double O and dead on. They're teen and dead on. But I feel like everybody got what they paid for on this particular run. Yeah, no doubt. Very, very good run. And and certainly both of them, you know, put down something that's going to win the majority of the time. And fell on KB's side. That's uh, that's the way those things go. So the long remaining car in the round, Luke, is the buy run for Spencer Massey. As Scotty Richardson was 17 green and goes dead on six. Down to the finish line, Spencer Massey going to take his solo shot by way of his 001 reaction time last time in the Nova. Spencer, you talking about like getting hot. When the time is right, Spencer Massey, double O seven, and goes six forty seven zero on a six forty seven dial. A seven pack for Massey. So seven pack there for Spence. Um, you know, obviously there was no pressure. It was a it was a stress free round for him, but. Uh, that's got to be feeling pretty good when you lay down seven total there on the buy run. You know, I, there's there's a little bit of, um, I guess, concern that maybe you've showed your cards and you've shown everyone what exactly what you can run. But Spencer doesn't appear to be messing around a whole lot with that anyway. He was making solid runs. And I think he was just sticking to the plan to make really good runs the rest of the evening. Yeah, I mean, he's in the slowest car in the field with the exception of running Andy Schmall. I don't think there's anybody left that's going to necessarily try to drive the finish line against him. And he's probably not going to do try to do a whole lot against the four-second dragsters. Like, I think in this instance, there's more value in knowing exactly what you can go. 
Like I, I actually think the right play here is to hold that down and show your cards on the buy run. Not because I would be more concerned about knowing myself than I would be concerned about everyone else knowing what I could go. Yeah, really good That's point. The dangerous yeah. tool to have um, a six uh, seven was it six seventy? Six forties, yeah. Six forty, six forty car um, against a lot of these fast dragsters. That a, a consistent six forty car could really wreck havoc, wreak havoc in a um, in a field like that. I know if it was me and I was in a four fifty drag, so I'd, I'd rather be paired up with a four ten drag than a six forty Nova. Yeah, I don't think that's the the one you want to see in the other lane. So seven remain. Now we're to the the quarterfinals, and five of them are dragsters. Two of them are door cars. We've got two Texans, uh, one from Pennsylvania, one from North Carolina, one from South Carolina, one from Idaho, kind of, via Minnesota, and one from Oregon. So you got Dylan and Andy representing the West Coast. At seven, the rest are uh, East Coasters. Uh, aside from the Texans, they're kind of in the middle. I don't know. They can probably claim either side if they want to, but they probably claim East because they go that way more. So, you know, with a few exceptions, uh, the round was actually fairly sloppy, you know, especially um, in contrast to round five. Why is that, Luke? It may just be happenstance, I, but I do think I Pete could maybe speak more to this because he's he's watching from afar far more often. But I I think this is pretty typical following the split, and I don't know the specific reason. I've got some some ideas. I think there is an element of saying I think it's easy to to relax a touch, like you know you've got ten grand coming, the weekend's paid for, and, and it's just a little bit of change in mindset. There's not that fear, that hunger. Like you know that the 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 prize money doubles, but there's there's no fear of failure at that point. If you lose, it's still a good day. Um, I do think there's an element of just going through that whole negotiation process and the split. That if nothing else, it breaks up the rhythm. You know what I mean? You're, you're kind of rolling along, rolling along, and just thinking about racing and then all of a sudden you got to stop and talk about money and then get right back to racing. Like maybe there's an element of that. And I think there's a possibility that for there's a time period, I feel like the first round, especially of any million dollar race, you've got this immense electricity, the atmosphere, like it is very obvious what you're racing for. And then at some point, it just becomes another race to some extent. Like you're just kind of going through the rhythm and the motion and, and you don't think too much about it. And then when you've got this catalyst, this meeting of 13 cars, and you realize that you are discussing splitting up close to $400,000. Like I do think there is an element of the, the actual size of the purse getting very real at that point. And I think for many, it becomes difficult to put that out of your mind and go operate like you have been the last few rounds. I don't know if any of that resonates with any of you. It could be a combination of all three, but I, I think some of that must be at play because I do think it's typical for this round in particular to get a little bit sloppier than it's been up to that point. Well, I think you speak from experience, um, you know, having not been in that situation myself, uh, it would be hard for me to debate that with you. So I'm going to say uh, your experience is, is talking just as much as, you know, just what you think is going on. You felt it yourself 
in uh, multiple occasions. So I would bet you're spot on with that, Luke. But let, let's not forget um, from a psychological standpoint, every round now is, you know, $10,000 win light. Then the next round, the $20,000 win light. And it just goes up from there. Not only that, so that adds some pressure, but not only that, I think from a racist standpoint, when they start getting this close, they start thinking a little bit too much about the finish, about they're getting close to winning a dream race for them. Um, and I think that uh, that's when it transitions from, like you said, Luke, it goes to just another race for a couple of rounds, and then you get to that round and people realize, damn, I'm this close to, to winning this thing. Only got a few more rounds, and and they start putting a little more pressure on themselves. Jason Lynch told me years and years ago, and I laughed at the time, but I do think there's some truth to it. We were in the lanes for second round, say one of the million dollar races, and I'm like, "What do you think, buddy?" And Lynch says, "Man, I just hope I can dodge these bullets for three, four rounds." I said, "Oh, and just get to the split." He's like, "Oh no, no! If I get that far, I'll win because we get to like fifth, sixth round." And all these some bitches will start realizing what they're racing for. They don't know yet. Like they're going to lay down sub 10 for a while and then it's going to get real sloppy. And, and I think there's some truth to that. Well, apparently there is, because, uh, you know, we, we've seen that again play out from time to time in these big races. So now, guys, we are in round seven, uh, ironically, also the round of seven. So. We've got our door car versus dragster matchup first out. Andy Small, bottom bulber slash top bulber now versus Doug Foley Jr. And door cars are obviously the smallest part of this field. So Andy trying to get a win right here over Doug to move into the semis. Yeah, I think worth noting here, like um, I think both drivers up to this point had been running the left lane. Foley puts Andy in the right. But if there's one place and and I don't Pete probably can't say this because it sounds biased, but I can say this as a racer. If there's one facility where I can promise you every time I've been there, that doesn't matter. It's a Jeff Proster prep Las Vegas. Like the lanes are equal. It doesn't it 100 percent doesn't matter one side or the other. And I think that becomes very apparent to the majority of competitors throughout. Um, Schmaldell is 597 here. That's what he's been on all day long. Uh, it, it appears that there's nothing tricky there. I think that's what Andy can run. I believe he's got nitrous, but again, in this instance, running a fast car, like I think he's basically trusting the car. Foley dials down significantly here to a, a 469. The last few rounds, um, A, uh, let's just talk reaction time-wise first. Small put the box back in. Last round, he was 11. His worst light of the day with the box is 14. So he's been in a good window, but not low double O. Foley on the other side, the last few rounds has been out of his mind. In round four, he was trip zip to earn the buy in round five, where he was 002, comes off of the buy run to run Johnny Ezel. He's 001. So he's strung together three lights that add up to three total. He's literally averaging a 001 reaction time the last three rounds. Pete, I'll throw it to you. Which situation would you rather be in? Would you rather be coming off a, a, a nice group of reaction times that weren't flirting with red? Or would you have more confidence in Doug Foley's shoes here being low double O and knowing that's what you could be moving forward? I'd, I'd probably, uh, especially with a delay box in delay box racing, uh, being Foley's shoes, because, I mean, you could always tickle a cup to thou in and 
you know, you hit it the same, your mid double off. So yeah, I'd rather be where he sits. It's easier to put a couple in than it is to pull a couple out, right? Yeah, it's good, good mentally too. Right, right. So I mentioned the dial-ins a little bit earlier, Schmal 597, that appears to be what he can run. Foley had been on a 472-ish most of the day. He dials all the way down to a 69 here. So it's pretty obvious the strategy, like I'm going to go ahead and trust my car. I'm going to hold it to the floor and and challenge Andy Schmal to make a better run. I don't want to be super critical here coming in because obviously hindsight's 20-20. I know the results at this point. But in looking through the previous runs, like that 469 dial-in to me looks aggressive. Obviously, Doug Foley Jr. knows his car better than I do. But the best I can tell in the rounds leading up to this, he was never going faster than 70 with a zero. And the round prior was actually going 70 with an eight. So there's there's a lot of knowing your own car. There's a lot of gut instinct and in coming into this. But just on paper, when he dials 469 here, I'm like, I don't think you can run that. And even if like, even if you think you could go a high 69 late in the million against a racer, the, the, the caliber of Andy Schmall, let's say you, you really believe you could go 69.7. I don't think you typically want to give away seven thousandths of a second, right? I, I, I think you, what's what KB did throughout, like was kind of on a high number. He'd dial up the, the three thou or so just to try to get back to load it on rather than high. So to say it's easy to look in retrospect, but I think that may actually cost Doug here in this round. Yeah, and on top of that, just just to add a little bit more to to what you're saying, um, and I know, like you say, Foster the track prep, the it's impeccable, but it is the track was sitting for a while. He is a, a dragster, and he's the first pair out, so chances are it's not going to make its quickest run of the day of the last two rounds. So can Andy Schmoll do what Lucas Walker did on Wednesday, and that is take the door car all the way into the winner's circle out of the pro ranks? 597 to a 469. About that 1.3 second head start belongs to the Beretta. Andy has made his way to the winner's circle here at this track multiple times. Can he get around Foley? Eight thou the difference between the two in reaction time. Doug Foley's running him down, and the wind light's going to belong to Andy Schmall. By ten thousandths of a second, Andy, 18 green and dead on eight to get the wind light. Doug Foley was 10 green and goes 471 on the 469 to come up 10 thousandths of a second short of the semifinals. So Foley's strategy to dial down and try to, you know, I guess make a time shot there and package him up did not work. He goes a couple above the dial. Leaves a little too much room in Andy's lane, and Small moves on 18, dead eight. 26 total, which is, uh, you know, a little loose for a round this significant. But, again, Foley with the dial down just couldn't get there, Luke. Yeah, my first instinct watching this, because you can see a little puff out of the pipe from Doug's car as he goes through the finish line. It's obvious he's down some, and my first instinct was, oh, man, he had the reaction time advantage. He just gave it back. But again, like upon further inspection, 
He's only a hundredth behind here, but best I can tell, he might have killed five or six thousandths of a second. Like I think his game plan was to hold it on the floor and, and there's a it's a split second decision, but you could say, especially with what he's dialed, like it's a loss of discipline to kill any. But I think if he holds it on the floor, he still comes up a few thousand short. I think this is Andy's round either way. Yeah, those are uh those are always running through your head. You know, you wonder if he had held it down what it would have what it would have looked like, but uh, that's all, you know, behind them at this point and Schmall's moving on. And and if if so next- candies and nuts, right? Like, I mean, you could go back on anything, but now it's one where you look back to that buy run two rounds prior. And granted, like there's a time and a place you don't want to show your hand, but that buy run where Foley kind of put on a show, right? And so look, dialed up three tenths and laid down a 12th out package, knowing what he knows now, I bet he'd like to have that back half incremental to dial honest against Andy Schmall. Like you couldn't have predicted that in the moment. And there was a lot of racers that you wouldn't necessarily want to show what you could run at that point. But in this instance, having that data probably would have been beneficial. Yeah. Great point. So next pair out is Dan Northrup and the rabbit, Kevin Brannon. Um, KB's obviously driving a car. He's not, you know, super familiar with, you know, not only had he not raced it prior to the weekend, he had never driven the car prior to the morning of the Spring Fling Million. So Spring Fling Million Friday. So, you know, uh, I give hard time about it's a dragster. They're all the same. But reality is, you know, they all don't feel exactly the same, especially when you've made as many laps in your own as KB has. He is in a car that looks a little different, feels a little different. And, you know, he's got another formidable opponent in the other lane yeah this is one of those things that a year removed from it now i think it's easy to gloss over that fact jed but it is really really incredible that if kb came into this weekend with no intentions of driving a dragster period like he was driving jerry loan's car and raced it exclusively for the first couple of days of the event had some issues with that car that they, they struggled with it this and that push come to shove on million dollar race day he makes the decision i think they they as a team made the decision like hey we got to get you in something else and brokers a deal with the Haug family to drive this car that he had never set in prior to this morning that we're watching and then just goes to slaying not just you know winning round after round winning this race but doing it in in i guess the manner you would expect from kevin brandon Really impressive. Double O, the car was doing its job, but KB was doing his thing as well. So in this round, Kevin, for the second consecutive round, matches up with arguably the, the heaviest hitter remaining. It's it's Kevin Brandon, it's Dan Northrup. And again, I'm I'm personally I'm sitting at half track. And as they pull into the water, I think, my God, for the second round in a row, I for Kevin, I feel like the winner of this round wins the race. Like I feel like. This is a marquee matchup, two guys that have been making as good or better runs than anybody throughout the day. And to see them match up with everything on the line, like this is what this event is all about. KB sticks with the 460 dial in. Again, it looks like on previous rounds, he could go real high 59. So he's holding very little, just kind of covering the the half end of the number. Northrop stays with the 475 dial. If you remember last round after Jeff Sarah's red light, Danny went 474-0. So we know that he's holding about 100. Both drivers holding just a little bit when both go just a touch under. KB has been 14 each of the previous three rounds. The car has been nasty. 
Northrop has been really impressive on the starting line. He was 18 early in competition. Since then, he's been no better than six, no worse than 12. So everything stacks up for this to be a brutal side-by-side -side match. And again, I've just got this feeling. It's easy to say in retrospect, but I can promise you I had the feeling in the moment. The winner of this, I feel like, is the favorite to go on and win the event. Northrop's a, a opponent. I've been racing with him for on the East Coast for decades. And if he keeps his adrenaline in check, he can be he can be really dangerous. And he was tonight at this night. Pete, in a time where we all have access to everybody's numbers and, and everybody knows what everybody can run and what they have been running and where they've let go, you've been 14 in each of the previous three rounds. Do you do anything with that? Do you do you try to tighten that up any? Or do you just say, okay, I've been slightly missing it, but my I, I should be set up eight here, so I'm going to stick with it? What do you do there? Well, I would I would take some out. Um, I mean, some of it's going to depend on what his lights were before then with that with the, that delay. But um, I mean, if I had three 14s in a row, it's telling me something. Uh, I, I would probably roll anywhere from uh, three to three to six out, not to get too crazy, because obviously there's a reason you have that delay in from the based off the previous rounds. But I'd probably roll about three to six out at that point. It's uh, Kevin, I don't know what he did, but uh, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to finding out because I don't remember. Thousands of a second short of the semifinals here at the Spring Fling Million, as Dan Northrup and Kevin Brannon. Oh, both drivers are 003 in reaction time, and look at that, 460 on a 460. Kevin Brannon. Eight total, taking a five thousand stripe. Dan, Kevin left both with 003 reaction times. Dan Northrup is one above the dial. Kevin is dead on five and 53 ten thousandths of a second. Determine the victor to be Kevin Brannon coming back in the last four. So obviously they're a little more comfortable look for KB, but he doesn't change his strategy. His strategy was the same when he ran a 6-0 door car, and his strategy remained the same against a dragster that was set up perfect for his view to roll him through. So just knowing that, you know, he's going to be good on the tree and he's capable of taking a few thousand, I guess, just left him sticking with what had gotten him there so far. Yeah, and I think if it's a regular – Saturday night and you know let's just say it's 500 or 1000 to win you know you he he may play a little bit different but when when egos aside when when is when is this much on the table everyone anybody that's smart and KB's one of them is going to think about the uh the best the best course of action to turn the wind light on and that car was moving less than a few thou it looks like and he from the way it played out to me just watching it um Killer on a tree, both of them, and KB was probably just getting close to getting around him, and Northrop knew he had to kill a little bit and probably dropped just a hair earlier than he wanted to, and eighth mile, that's real easy to do. But 13th out package, you can't you can't really shake your head about that for Northrop. No, this is, this is one of those rounds that just lives up to the hype. I mean, they're both 003 in this spot. Um, to your point, Keith, I think that's exactly the race, the way the race went down. I don't think that 
I'm not sure that KB's clearing them if they both hold it wide open. Danny kills a little bit, lets Kevin by. Kevin, to his credit, super disciplined. He's down two-ish mile an hour. I think a lot of people would say it's harder to kill less than 100 than it is to say kill two or three because you got to be really, really disciplined about it. Kevin does it and actually probably did a, a better job here even than it looks. The car did pick up a touch here. It, I think he had to come in the round thinking he could go like 59.7. Looks like he's actually going 59.2. So to get back to dead on there, he killed maybe even a little bit more than he needed to. And initially when I looked at this, Pete, I thought the exact same thing as you. It's an epic race and you can't shake your head at a 13,000th package for Dan Northrup. But my thought was, oh, he just he, he dropped just a touch too early. But when I played it back, looking at the incrementals, his car slowed down six thousandths a halfway. Like he was, he did everything that he wanted to do and was trying to make like like was on pace to lay down five or six total. Car slows down a touch. I think you step back from this and say both of these guys did everything that they wanted to do, but only one of their wind lights could come on. It'll be interesting to find out. Uh what Kevin did with the box there, um, 14, 14, 14, and 003. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's good stuff. And, you know, Danny caught him at the wrong round. He catches him any previous round, and his package is better than KB's light. Yeah, great point. So KB moves on, of course, with a super solid run there, getting by a very solid run from Northrop. Now we've got another door car versus dragster matchup. We've got Spencer Massey and Dylan Howe. Luke Massey coming off of seven pack in his buy run, obviously 647-0 on the 647. And based on the, the reaction times thus far, Spencer has had a slight advantage, a little better performance up to this point than Dylan. So what do you think here? Yeah, I mean, coming into this matchup, I, you could make the argument that Spencer's making better runs than anybody left in competition. And this is a relative statement, but you could also make the statement that Dylan Haug had probably been making the least impressive runs of anybody still into this point. Now, that has zero bearing on the round that we're about to watch because we've all seen that flip in an instant and Dylan's certainly capable of flipping it. Obviously, in this case, given the speed difference, I assume you're going to see two two really good cars, two really good drivers trying to be double O and dead on. Uh, just going off the dial ins, that looks like what's to be expected here. Dylan just went 458.1, but he was down just a little bit. Looks like he was going low 57 the previous round. He styled 457, so we we got to think he's he believes he can go dead on to the floor. We just watched Spencer light it up 647-0 on that buy run. He's dialed 647, so he's not giving anything away as they come into this round. So Andy Schmall in the Beretta, Kevin Brandon in the Dragster. Will we end up with two door cars, two Dragsters? Or is it going to be a three-to-one mix in the semifinals here in the Million? Dylan Howe dialed 457, getting put over there on that right side of the racetrack. Two seconds, the head start exactly for Spencer Massey. He's dialed 647. Massey is going to light up the board. Once again, Spencer Massey. Let's go 00, 006, and 650 on a 647 to get to the stripe first by 19 thousandths of a second. So another stellar reaction time from Spencer Massey right there. And 
looked like he took 19. It looks like he was able to, to run the dial again. So he was going to be making a very solid lap. How with the miss there and left himself out of the race. Credit to Spencer. Uh, I don't know what his incrementals were, but you saw his nose drop, taking a clean 19 there to go three above uh, against a fast track. So that's doing some work. Yeah, I think this is actually the most impressive round for me, for Spencer, just for that reason, because obviously his car was good throughout. But this shows like he's paying attention. He's watching even on those full 40 cars. He kills a good 300 too. He was going mid that on to take 19, which is pretty snug against somebody that's got 50 mile an hour on you. <laughs> yeah, it is. So we got Chris Galitti left to make his buy run, which is the buy run you want because it's the last one of the evening. It doesn't matter when that happens. It's the one you want the most. And he's going to take this buy run at seven. A uh, little bit, little bit of a weird strategy from a, from a guy that's dry hopped and everything else today. Uh, I'm not really sure what the plan was as we watched this. Like Chris drives around the water here, but it looks like he was trying the foot brake and hit the tree and maybe got a little bit. I don't know. I'm not even going to speculate as to what was going on here. It doesn't matter. Chris Galetti is rolling on to the semis of the Spring Flame Million. Well, I, I wouldn't mind adding a little color because I'm not going to speculate, but I do know exactly what happened. Um, Chris is one of, was without a doubt the loose, his demeanor, his, he was the loosest guy left as far as um you know he was just having fun so my inner kyle cycle came out and i walked up to him i said oh you're going around the water uh, and this is something kyle would always do and he's like yeah i said you're gonna back up you know and um he goes yeah i'm just gonna hit the tree and back up i said all right if you, your foot breaking it he said yeah i said all right if you if you're better in 050 i'll give you 100 bucks um anyway and then he just gets a no burnout and he just he got pretty aggressive, if I remember. I, I stood back. I, he stabbed him and went pretty fast. He didn't back up. <laughs> Let's watch it. So that's the kind of insight we needed right there. <laughs> you know, you, you you watch something happen, you're wondering why, and it, basically you just, you talked him into doing that, Pete. I mean, yeah, I was listening. <laughs> that's basically what could, happened. You could watch it on the on there because I saw the last, the last pair. I'm standing right next to him with a clipboard. Um and I remember I told the starter, he's just backing up. And then he takes off and the starter looked at me. It was it was pretty fine. Okay, so we're down to the semis. There are four remaining. And I don't know about you guys, with all due respect to Andy Schmall and Spencer Massey and Chris Galetti, at this point, especially coming off of that round with Northrop, he's just beat Scotty Richardson and Dan Northrop back-to-back. And both of those guys made the runs that you would have expected them to make. And KB got under both of them. At this point, like I, I just had this feeling that this was KB's race, right? And to to get through those two matchups and the runs that they made, obviously there's plenty of meat left on the bone. There's work left to do, but I just feel like this the stars are aligning. Kevin Brandon's going to win his second million, his first spring fling million. He's wrecking the tree. He's in a great car, and let's be honest. He's Kevin freaking Brandon. Like, I, I feel like it was lining up his way. It's easy to say in hindsight, but I'm wondering if you guys had the same feeling watching it in real time. You know, definitely got a lot of confidence in KB and and pretty much every time he stages, I think his win light's going to come on. So I don't remember feeling any different here, but something about just the way Massey was making those crazy good runs 
had me really thinking that he was about to do this. So uh, I definitely wasn't betting against KB or thinking that he couldn't do it. But I remember feeling that Spencer Massey was fixing to do something pretty special in a 640 door card. And uh, within a few thousand, he he certainly did. So, um, but, you know, KB, like I said, always a threat to win and um, didn't, I, I knew it was going to be a monumental challenge to try to get by him for anybody that was in the in the opposite lane. All right, so now we've got our semifinals. We've got first up, Gulitti versus Massey. Obviously, again, Dragster versus Dorcar. Chris with a very interesting strategy in the semis. Massey, double O, capable of dead on. When he's not going dead on, he's dropping to a couple above for the win. You know, obviously two different types of cars here. Huge difference in the mile per hour. But let's talk about the money first, Luke. Um, obviously, as Peter told us earlier, these guys are getting $40,000 each right here. It, but if you turn on a win line here, not only are you significantly increasing your, you know, your purse, your winnings, but you're going to the final of the Spring Fling Million. So this round, with all the pressure that's been leading up to this, this round still has a, a lot of that on the line. Yeah, this is huge because with all due respect, like, I just, I don't think, let me just ask you this. Pete put the race on. Let's go back. Um, let's go back six years, 2017. Pete, who lost in the semis of the Spring Fling Million? No way I can tell you. Yeah, because nobody remembers, right? So you, there's the prestige of of being in the final and still having the opportunity to win it. And then I think that's multiplied by, at every round, like you're, you're, you're familiar with the pressure at this point, at every round, the the a win light basically doubles your money. So from 10 grand to 20 grand, from 20 grand to 40 grand. But now I guess worst case scenario, you're leaving here. Is it 40,000 to lose here? Is that what you'd said earlier, Pete? It's 40, but it's a it's it's at minimum a $25,000 win light. That's what uh, I mean. It's minimum. The, and it could be a $60,000 win light. Yeah. So the it's hard to say you'd be disappointed with 40, but you're gonna leave knowing like you could have turned that 40 into a hundred with another two win lights, right? So it's a it's a monumental round. And I do think, I don't know, I, I think it would be difficult for that thought not to at least cross your mind in this spot. But is this, at this point, you've got $40,000 coming to you and there's probably been a side deal or two along the way. So you, you already know what your net's going to be. Does that matter more than... I am two win lights from being the next spring fling million dollar winner. Is it, is it some of both? Obviously it is some of both, but which one's weighing more on the driver's mind? No, I, I think Jed, it depends on the driver. Um, I think their perspective, um, if they're looking forward or, or looking in the present, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think speaking from my experience, there's kind of equal parts of both. Like my my situation having been in this spot was a little bit different because I had to buy at three. So that big money jump round, like I, I, I knew what I was in for and there was a comfort in that. But I just remember we made the deal at 16 or less. The purse was set. So it never really had to be revisited. 
So in the back of your mind, you, you realize what's at stake, but it's never at the forefront because you're never discussing it again. And when I rolled around for the final uh, years ago, it was Michael Pennington and I, and I, the thought of redistributing the purse, like never had even crossed my mind. And Pete actually walked down out of the tower and he's like, hey, just so we're clear, you guys talked about this four years ago or four rounds ago, but it's it's 100 grand to win and 80 grand to runner up. And I looked at Michael and we both just kind of nodded like, that's cool, let's roll. And I'm put, I turned around and I'm putting my jacket on and it literally went through my mind. Holy bleep. He just said we're racing for $100,000 and, and And like, I had to take a second to be like, that this is really happening. You know what I mean? Like it, just the thought of revisiting that money made it real. And I can't, up until that point, it was all the thought of winning this bucket list race. Like that was, it, my mindset was more on that, but it, and I think I got back to that before I staged for the final, but I can't lie. And that split second, it was, wow, that's a lot of money. And it, and I think anybody, whatever their financial situation is, like that thought I think has to cross your mind at some point. Well, that's the reason you're there. You're there because it is the spring fling million. So there's no doubt in my mind that it, it doesn't matter what your financial situation is. You you dream of winning a race for a lot of reasons, but the purse is one of them. So uh, I think it's it's probably just got a little bit of all that that I, I could win the spring fling million and I could get freaking paid right here. Uh, all of that is weighing on your mind. So Luke, let's break down this first semifinal matchup with Galidian Massey. All right, so they stick with uh, their hard islands, which is to be expected. It's 50 mile an hour difference, right? Uh, Chris Galitti has been on a 445 for the last several rounds. He's dialed that. We've seen Massey light it up or been going 647. He sticks with that. We've talked about Massey's starting line performance. It feels like it's been a week since he wasn't double O. Galitti has moved around a little bit earlier in the race but has absolutely settled in. He's been uh, 16, then 002, 15, then 001 uh, to get that buy run last round, which obviously we're not going to count that reaction time as foot breaking. Both drivers know exactly what they need in the box. It appears both drivers know exactly what they can go. This is one of those, your typical late round, eighth mile, big dollar bracket race. It's going to be my sub 15 package against your sub 15 package. Let's see where the little numbers fall. We're going to start off with Chris Galitti. And Spencer Massey, a couple of gentlemen out of the state of Texas. Spencer in the Nova, 647. Will be the dial for that red 71 Nova. Chris Galitti for Team Rad Tools. With a dry hop. I love it. 445, the number for Chris. The winner will make it to the final round and look to join all of the great million winners that have come before. Massey is off. Double O nine and double O eight up front. Spencer Massey, 008, taking 008 to be dead on two and move into the final. Spencer Massey, 647-2 on the 647. Galitti was 009, dead on nine, and eight thou behind. 
Spencer Massey is going to run for the million. Oh, man, I, I knew how it turned out, and my team still has me all fired up about it. Like, I'm still, I'm getting excited. Like, this is, I'm watching it happen live again. What a great call. Uh, Nate and Mike both made wonderful calls during this event. Chris Gulitti, he's nine dead nine, Luke. In a, in a critical, critical moment in the race, that's, that's shedding the pressure. That's getting rid of the pressure and making a really good lap. But it didn't work out. Yeah, he, he makes what I would assume is the exact run that he wanted to make. It would have been the run that I wanted to make in that instance. And his 18 total basically got cut in half. And let's let's not bypass the fact that how many people would do what he did? Forget the dry hops. I heard him do another one, by the way. But <laughs> the guy is just loose and having fun. He sits out the round before. Now, both lanes the same or not, I'm always a little more comfortable in one lane during an event, like after I go a bunch of rounds, whether it's a lane I just had the last two rounds or whatever. Better reaction time gets lane choice. This guy's doing dry hops and foot breaking. He doesn't give a crap about lane choice, and he's going into the semifinals. Pretty pretty cool stuff, man. And he, and he performed. Oh, you know, and and you you probably haven't faced anyone quite like Chris in a round quite like we just watched. But what's going through your mind as your your opponent? And obviously Spencer knows Chris very well, so he knows how loose and and wild he is. But what's going through your mind when your opponent is is just that having that much fun and just that loose? Yeah, it definitely. Uh... It's definitely out of the ordinary. It's it's got to play on you a little bit, thinking that the guy must be super confident if he's over there just smiling and doing dry hops. Um, but I mean, at this stage of the game, anybody who's in is is so focused on a task at hand at this point that I don't think they're it's going to really affect them. Um, but and then the fact that they're friends, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little sidebar. Well, we'll get we'll get to the after we get to the final. I'll give you a little sidebar. But go ahead. And so Spencer lays down 10 total, uh, just the latest in a succession of tremendous runs. He's going to the final. Who is he going to match up against? We've got Kevin Brand and Jed opposite Andy Schmall. Yeah, as, as we discussed, Andy Schmall, this is, you know, not uncharted territory for him. He has been to the late rounds in the Spring Fling Million and other Spring Fling events at Vegas. He's very comfortable at Vegas. He is very comfortable in you know, big buck stage settings, and he has shown that with his results. But, you know, he's in the door car, and he's got a bad, bad cat in the other lane in Kevin Brennan. Obviously, Andy has been making really good runs, but I think even he would tell you, I'm not sure the average run I've been making is where I want to be right here for Kevin. What do you think, Luke? I don't know, man. It's really easy on, on our end to get caught up in the numbers because we're seeing them all. There's an aspect of, of as a driver, what you've been doing is working. And Andy had been, what, like 11 and 14 the last two rounds? I guarantee you he wasn't set up 11 and 14. Like, he knows that he could hit it a little bit better. Like, I don't know that there's a an, an any any bit of him that's going to alter his strategy coming into this round. Like, he's just going to try to execute a little bit better. And I think that's probably the mindset regardless of who's in the other lane. So as these two come into the run, 
obviously there's a significant speed difference. These have been two of the best cars throughout the day, throughout the weekend. Um, now, if you remember in the previous round, KB's ride picked up just a little bit. It was about as big a move as that car made all day, but he had, it looked like he had been going high 459 for several rounds in a row. Last round against Dan Northrop, it picked up four or five thousandths in the middle. Looked like he was going like 59-1, 59-2. He comes into this round, he keeps the 60 on it. So in his mind, there's got to be the thought that he's holding closer to a full hundredth now than the couple of thou that he thought he had to get rid of before. Um, Andy Small stays on the 597. I believe that's what he dialed every round of this event. It seems to be what he's been on all day long. So both of them dialed relatively close. KB probably holding just a touch as they square off here in the semis. Spencer Massey is going to run for the million. And who will join Spencer? Is it going to be the dragster of Kevin Brannon or Andy Schmall off of the bottom in the Beretta? Andy out of Idaho. 597 is the projection for Andy here. Kevin Brannon in the Hout Dragster. Kevin out of South Carolina, 460 is the number for Kevin. Spencer Massey in the Nova is in the final. Away and away. Brannon, Schmall. Kevin Brannon, 003-4607 to be 10 total, locks out Andy Schmall. Andy was 15 up front and one above. So obviously, uh, we see that worked out very well for KB. Another stellar lap. Both finalists lay down 10 total in the semis to come face one another. Andy made a good lap. I, I think he probably saw that this wasn't working out very well for him. So he probably scrubbed just a little at the stripe. Uh, I think he was probably going dead on that 97 again, 15 on the tree. But Luke, just not much you can do with somebody when they're laying down the kind of runs KB's laying down right now. Yes, yeah, 003 on the tree for the second consecutive round. Um, car repeated to 330 within two thousandths of the previous round. So he's going 59.5 here. You, you could hear, see a little scoop wiggle there at the finish line. He kills just over a hundredth of a second to comfortably take the finish line, be mid dead on. So it is the matchup of door car versus dragster, which, you know, we all love. We all love to see that in the big money bracket races. And certainly uh, one as significant as the spring fling million. Pete, I want to go back to you right here. As those guys come back up for the final round, what was their interaction with one another? Uh, as you know, just interesting to me, were they were they chatty or were they you know good luck and strap it on, let's go? They, they weren't chatty. They they wanted the gold. Um, they uh, you know Spencer. Him, you know, he hangs out with Galitti. Those guys like to have fun and, and they're loose. But I saw his game face, man. Uh, and uh, Rabbit, Rabbit was just being Rabbit. You know, like I said earlier, he, he his his uh, demeanor didn't change from what I saw from round four to when I was out there to, to the final round. I will give you this sidebar. I was a little bit nervous about Spencer winning. Because um, if you look, when we played a final... <laughs> There's a limo that takes the winner and his friends 
to a to a suite, and Luke knows all about that. And the suite's worth a lot of money, um, and the limo's worth money. And uh, those Texans would have tore that tore that up. And Chris told me, "You're lucky he didn't win because we were going to tear it up. <laughs> he probably saved me about fifty thousand dollars in damages there." <laughs> Well, it was uh, it was quite the contrast between finalists as yes. to what kind of damage would get done to the limo. <laughs> All right, so Luke, break down the final round. Well, first off, like coming into this final, it just it feels like the right two got there, and and I think we can all agree it, it, that's not always the case, right? Like. It, big race, little race. Like it seems like a lot of the time somebody squeaks through with less than stellar runs. These are the two guys that I felt like made the best runs all day long. Like we're the two deserving finalists. Spencer's probably been the best on the tree throughout the day. He's been double O now four consecutive rounds, never worse than 17 on the day. Obviously these last few rounds, he's been combining that with low dead on runs. His car's been really good. He's laying down unbeatable packages. KB, the other end of the racetrack, he's been dead on the dial in five consecutive rounds. To this point, that car that he's driving had moved nine thousandths of a second to 330 all day long from round one through round eight, never more than four thousandths off the previous round. And they're both coming off 10 packages, matching 10 packages in the semis. This is what it's all about. And then you add the element that there's two seconds difference and almost, you know, 45 mile an hour difference in the two cars, door car dragster, Texas versus South Carolina. It's got every plot line that you could hope for. Pete, obviously you said they weren't very chatty. So I'm assuming that they didn't discuss the money any further from here. They just left it as it was uh, already determined. Well, we did make an adjustment to the money. I walked in between them and it was, uh, it was 115 and 50. Um, and uh, they decided on making it uh, 165. So 100,000 to the winner, 65 to the runner up. So the okay. race up to 35,000. Okay. Still, yeah, a significant amount of money to to turn on a wind light right there. $35,000 wind light don't, don't come around very often for, for us in this sport. So um, that was pretty much their only conversation was, was that adjustment of the split and then let's get after it yeah K kb's not a man of many words he does his talking on a racetrack and uh it's uh it's always fun to watch these guys because you don't know what you're going to expect but these guys were all business at this point so let's watch it play out they both come into the round they stick to the same dial ends uh, obviously spencer looks to be going low 647 the last several runs he leaves it on 47 KB, again, was just going 59.5, has been as fast as maybe 59.2. He keeps the 460 on it. So common theory here is he's got to kill just a little bit. Kevin Brannon and Spencer Massey coming in in the Nova out of Texas. The tree begins to drop. Spencer's dialed in at 647. Kevin's dialed in at 460. 5,000 separate them in reaction time, and the wind light belongs to the rabbit. Kevin Brannon on a double breakout. Kevin was double oh five on the tree. Take two thou at the stripe to be two thou under four nine or four fifty nine eight on the four sixty. Spencer Massey was right behind him and ends up five thou under the dial. Massey with a ten thou light breaks it out by five thou. But Kevin Brannon, the rabbit, is going to claim the victory and will become racer number seven 
to etch his name on the wall of history here at the Spring Fling Million. So two racers that have lived dead on round after round after round, double O's round after round after round. One of them still lights it up, double O five. Spencer just missed a double O by a thou. And both cars, I guess, picked up a little bit of that cooler air late in the night in Vegas to go under what around double breakouts are those are hard on you i mean as a racer you just hate that because you you feel like you were supposed to to kill a little you always know to try to just kill a little or something but both of them go under luke and the rabbit puts his name in history as the seventh spring fling million champion i will say a little bit maybe um off the cuff Testament to to Jeff Foster and that staff. Pete mentioned this earlier. Like nothing's been down the track in 20, 30 minutes for both finalists. So a, a 450 car and a 640 car to both make their fastest runs of the day. That's not what you typically see, you know, after the track's been sitting. I doubt that either of them expected to see a double breakout. On paper here, KB's run is superhuman, right? I mean, five. I don't know if you would say take two against a, a 640 car. Typically, it's probably just trying to my initial thought is it's probably just trying to kill what you're holding to get back to dead on. But the truth is he takes two. If he takes six, he loses. So, it, I mean, we're a year removed from this and you just feel like, well, it's inevitable that like KB was going to win this race. He could have easily taken six. Um, if Spencer Massey, like, I don't even think he had to touch the brake pedal. If he looks at it, he he kills enough that he wins his double breakout or gets over the dial. And like, this could have easily gone the other way. And what really jumped out, like just feather in Kevin Brandon's cap here, obviously he's Kevin Brandon five take two. And I said earlier, I didn't want to give him credit for taking two necessarily on a six forty car. That car that he's driving that hadn't moved all day. It picked up eight thousands from the previous round to halfway. Like he cut has to come into this round thinking he's going mid 59. He's going low 58. He has to thread the needle here to win the round. He has to either, I guess he would get away with getting behind, but that would obviously be a mistake. Like he's got five thousandths on the tree. He has to take five or less killing more than he thought he should have. And guess what? He does because he's Kevin freaking Brandon. Spencer makes a great run in the other lane. He's 10 on the tree, a few thou under. That's awesome in any situation, especially this one. And at the same time, it's his worst light in like eight hours. So obviously there's a coulda, shoulda, woulda, what could have been. Uh, but I think really impressive lap in both lanes and, and KB gets the win. And, and this moment lives in, uh, it lives forever for that man. Yeah, obviously uh, his first million, the OG million, was uh, had a lot of controversy around it. But getting the Spring Fling million in a car that you had never sat in until the morning of the race, the, the most eyes that could possibly be on this event is on it. It's, uh, it's obviously putting you down in history as the seventh champion of this event that you know, is on every single racer in the world's bucket list. And you've just hoisted the trophy. You've got the limo rides. You've got the, the presidential 
suite in the top of what hotel, Pete? Cosmopolitan. The Cosmopolitan. I mean, so much goes along with winning this race. And Kevin Brannon just got by uh, an amazingly talented and high-performing field to get his name in the record books as the seventh champion. I can only imagine what that win like felt like for him. And um, Spencer, I'm sure, you know, that one's probably going to eat at him for a while, but uh, he's had his share of wins and, and done extremely well. But KB, he is the man of the Spring Fling Million 2022 and uh, very deserving. Yeah, and if you just step back and look at each round, which I obviously when I'm at the event, I watch it, but I don't piece it all together like this. That was just solid driving, discipline, didn't overcorrect. I mean, went a lot of, you know, he could have very easily went from 14, 14, 14 to stay at 14. He would have lost to Northrop or pulled too much out and nail it and go three thou red. He he just he just made all the right calls and all the right moves and he executed. Um didn't make any mistakes, could have very easily, he knows Northrop's aggressive at the finish line, could have very easily got got um, behind Northrop there. Um, could have very easily dumped into a one or two over one of the earlier rounds, but he just he just drove close to the vest, I call it, and man, discipline, discipline, discipline. Yeah, the discipline obviously paid off for KB, and, and he does that a lot, obviously, but uh, you know, what's so impressive to me is that strategy stayed the same, whether he was racing, uh, like I said, the 590 door car or, or 640 door car or 470 dragster. And you typically don't see that in a in a full day's time at a race. Typically, that strategy is going to move around just a little bit. Obviously, he was very comfortable with where he was in his spot and the the car performing well. And, you know, it just goes to show you that you can employ the the same strategy throughout the rounds, no matter who's in the other lane. And if you stay true to your discipline, Pete, as you said, it can work out very well for you. And it never hurts that he's never worse than 14 on the day. And in the last three rounds, he's three, <laughs> three, five on the tree. Ice water running yeah. through the veins. How about the fact that from the semifinals on, the worst light anyone posts is Spencer Massey's 10 in the final? That's nuts. Impressive. Kevin Brannon and Spencer Massey. Coming in in the Nova out of Texas, the tree begins to drop. Spencer's dialed in at 647. Kevin's dialed in at 460. 5,000 separate them in reaction time, and the wind light belongs to the rabbit. Kevin Brannon on a double breakout. Kevin was double 05 on the tree. Take 2,000 at the stripe to beat 2,000 under 459.8 on the 460. Spencer Massey was right behind him and ends up 5,000 under the dial. Massey with a 10,000 light, breaks it out by 5,000, but Kevin Brannon, the rabbit, is going to claim the victory and will become racer number seven to etch his name on the wall of history here at the Spring Fling Million.
what a cool night just playing back how the 2022 spring flame million wrapped up from you know not all the rounds but the most critical rounds from the round of 13 on to KB's final round win light over Spencer Massey. What an amazing replay of this. You know, it had me hyped. I was excited, even though I knew the outcome. I was still so excited just seeing Vegas in those clips and certainly hearing Nate and Mike Eames and the insight that Pete offered. Just a really cool breakdown of the 2022 Spring Fling Million. But as we said, here we are at the 2023 Spring Fling Million. Someone is about to feel that feeling all over again, and I can't wait to watch it play out. I'll have to watch it on the internet. I won't get to be there, but it's going to be an awesome time watching these people battle it out, and somebody's going to change their life with this wind light at the 2023 Spring Fling Million. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.